0: Love, talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pula. My guest is Pat Batuello. Is that right, Pat?
1: That's good, Cynthia Patwello. Yeah.
0: Thank you, thank you. And he's taught, uh, he's in, he's here to talk about the Travers race in Saratoga. So before we get started talking about the Travers Race, tell everybody about your organization.
1: Yes, Cynthia. Well, we are the only nonprofit in the country that is consistently and clearly working to end horse racing in the U.S. We started in uh, 2013. We incorporated as a nonprofit in 2017, and we've been fighting the good fight ever since.
0: So, we're almost at the end of the uh, season for Saratoga. And the last time we spoke, you, uh, it was at the beginning of the season. You had talked about the number of horses have who have died. Overall, how many horses have died during this season in Saratoga?
1: Well, uh, on see uh, Saturday, Saturday morning, um, the 11th, on track death was recorded. So this um again is pretty consistent with the Saratoga's historical average of fifteen or so every summer. Um there is a 12 a twelfth horse died back in his stall. So we're up to twelve casualties on the summer at Saratoga. Now this one that
0: died on Saturday Actually that was, uh, was no, you... I'm
1: sorry, I misspoke. That was on Sunday the 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 most recent oh, okay. Death.
0: okay. So you went to the uh, track on Saturday to talk about your organization. There were quite a number of people there. Um, when there's an exciting day like the Travers, do people respond to what you're trying to tell them?
1: Uh, mostly no. So, you know, we will have some, a handful, you know, that will take flyers and are interested in what we are trying to do. But most people uh, will just ignore us, um, just try to make a beeline into the gates. There are some, as you can imagine, who are rude and uh, downright confrontational, swearing at us, uh, calling us names. Um you know, etc. So, you know, it's a mixed bag. But um, I think most people um, are uncomfortable walking past us. And they're trying to get in as quick as possible.
0: Now you've been doing this for a number of years now. And Saratoga attracts people from um, all over the country, and maybe even from other parts of the world. And You know, I would say that a good many people who come to Saratoga know that the horses are physically challenged during during a horse race. When there's an event such as the Travers where women get all dressed up with their big hats and, and it's like galas and parties and stuff, what do you think the big attraction is for Saratoga? Is it the ambiance of the city or is it
1: horse racing itself? It's definitely the, the former. It's, it, you know, this is a social destination. So most people going to Saratoga are not hardcore horse players, the gamblers. You do get those, obviously, but you get those at every track. At Saratoga, and we've talked about this previously, it's a whole different atmosphere that to get from the average racetrack in America. There may be three or four tracks like Saratoga across the whole country. Del Mar out in San Diego, Churchill Downs, you know, for the Kentucky Derby, mm-hmm. um, Belmont in New York, but really only, you know, for the Belmont Stakes weekend. Um Saratoga is one of those, um, you know, unique tracks where it's a, it's a short six week meet, and it does draw people through uh, you know across the spectrum. So you'll have again those gamblers, but you will also draw families, uh, you know, parents with young children in tow, and and you'll have college age kids going, and and they're there to party to have. A good time and you know there's other things to do you know once once you're inside the gates um, there's food and drink and there's picnic tables and they have events for the kids so <clears throat> you know our goal is to reach you know those people those non gamblers those um you know occasional track goers the families mm-hmm. you know the college kids and ask them to you know think about what they're supporting and you know we were you know very vociferous you know on saturday talking about the 11 horses at that point it was 11 uh that had died already this summer you know for (laughs) their entertainment you know for these people walking in for their entertainment they need to you know they need to feel that they need to absorb that you know there was a time you know when we first started um i i would say that You know, very few people knew how many horses, you know, were dying across America. Unless you were really tuned into the horse racing industry, you just didn't know the depth of the killing. And so that's what we've brought to the table. You know, the education was paramount. And we've been around now for several years. We've been protesting at Saratoga since 2014. There's no excuse, absolutely no excuse for people to be walking into the track now and say, I didn't know. I didn't know that horses were being abused and horses were dying. There's no excuse, it's there. The information is there. You know, we're out there protesting. The local media does cover the deaths. Again, no excuse. So <clears throat> I think our our attitude has shifted a little bit as activists where, like I said in the beginning, um, we mostly stood quietly, you know, holding our signs. Um, Again, just trying to plant seeds, uh, educate. Um, Now, yeah, there's a little bit more of an edge to it because there's no excuse. I I go back to that. You're walking through those gates. You are the reason that horses are abused and killed because there are no fans. There are no races. There's no industry without the fans. And I think people need to, you know, Absorb that messaging. They need to, you know, and again, you know, we're often told that shaming doesn't work. You can't shame people into change. Well, you know, if not shame, you know, they need to be made to feel uncomfortable. And that's what we're trying to accomplish now as opposed to seven years ago.
0: And and I uh, race like the Travers a race like the Kentucky Derby, we're talking about horses that are worth quite a bit of money. When you say abuse, even the horses <clears throat> that are worth a
1: lot of money, would you say that well, they're abused? Sure. I'll ask you, Cynthia. So if I were to tell you that you're going to take a a fully sentient being, an intelligent, sensitive feeling creature, um, with the rough equivalent of uh, of you know, intelligent level intelligence level of a you know, a two or three year old child. And you are going to stick them in a twelve by twelve stall for over twenty three hours a day. These are again naturally social beings. Um does not does that does that not qualify as abuse? I would say so. I would say so also. I think that that's, and these horses, yes, even the horses running in the Travers and in the Kentucky Derby, that's how they spend uh, the majority of their time. And and think about this logically. These are assets, and as you mentioned, they are expensive assets. Um, As a matter of fact, the horse who broke down, who died, I shouldn't say break, you know, I should say simply died was a two-year-old filly uh, on Sunday morning during training hours at Saratoga. Um, She died of a heart attack. Now, it may not have been technically a heart attack, but it was a a heart-related issue of some sort. So we're talking about a two-year-old who is, for all intents and purposes, an equine baby just collapsing and dying of a cardiac event of some sort. Well, that Particular Philly, as a one-year-old, sold for $8.2 million. Oh, my God. Yeah. Clearly, you know, at at that level especially, they are going to do everything that they can to minimize risk of injury. And so they're not going to allow these horses to be horses. They're not going to allow them to run free in an open pasture with other members of their species. To be able to interact like a you know a horse in the wild would interact because they're assets, and they can't afford to run that risk of those horses being injured, so that's why they keep them locked up like that you know for the vast majority of their that again, it... go ahead go ahead go ahead i'm sorry well that is that is inherently cruel. And there's nothing that is going to change that. So when you hear about these so-called reformers within the industry, when you hear about things like the Horse Racing Integrity Act, which was signed into law this past December and will go into effect in 2022, and so many of these reform-minded people within the industry are throwing all of their weight behind this. This is going to be the, the panacea for all that ails horse racing, all that does is address drugs and, to a lesser extent, track surfaces. That's it. And I, and, I, and I believe, it is my firm belief, you know, after doing this for seven years and researching and researching and filing this, um, this data every single day on the website, horseracingwrongs.org, that the killing will not be significantly impacted By the Horse Racing Integrity Act By these so-called reforms But beyond that Beyond that It doesn't touch confinement and isolation Not One iota So people want to know what's wrong With horse racing We can talk about the deaths We can talk about over 2,000 horses killed Racing or training across America every year Hundreds more dying back In their stalls We can talk about The the majority of spent or simply no longer wanted racehorses going to the most vicious and violent of ends, the slaughterhouse. In, In fact, most of the horses running at Saratoga this summer will land in the slaughterhouse at career's end. We can talk about all that, and there's always the confinement and the isolation, always. It's always going to be there, and that is the worst of the cruelty, and people need to know That no matter how they spin it, and they do spin it very, very well, you know, they're not a multi-million dollar industry for nothing, multi-billion dollar industry for nothing. They have real slick marketing people, and they talk about how these are pampered athletes, and they live – we hear this all the time from people, you know, in the industry. They live better than than you and me, It's just absurd. Would you want to live – in a a tiny room and I think I may have mentioned this to you before when I testified before the New York State Senate in 2019 um, also testifying was a prominent equine veterinarian here in upstate New York Dr. Craig Kulikowski and you can find his testimony on YouTube again it's uh, Craig Kulikowski K and a K he testified that keeping horses this way is akin to keeping a child in a four-by-four closet for over 23 hours a day. And he started his career on the racetrack. So when I say it, they try to dismiss me as, you know, an activist who doesn't know what he's talking about. But here you have an equine vet saying, not only does this happen because he saw it firsthand, but this is why it's cruel. And to bring it home... He draws an analogy to a human child. So it, it doesn't – the rest of it just you – could, you could filter it all out, all the other nonsense about, you know, drugs, track surfaces, and, um, you know, even, even, you know, reducing the whipping or getting rid of whipping altogether like they did at Monmouth Park in New Jersey this summer. You could talk about all that stuff. It's all a big distraction. This is inherently cruel because they, they use these animals as commodities and they treat them as commodities they are bought and sold several times over the course of their so-called careers almost every racehorse that i receive a, a necropsy report for almost every racehorse died with ulcers so that should bring yeah. it home to people it's the stress really? it's the anxiety yeah oh it's terrible it's it's virtually every racehorse has ulcers stomach ulcers And it's, you know, it's a function of their lifestyle, you know, how they are made to live day in and day out. Again, not just the confinement and the isolation, but the constant, you know, changeover, you know, from one trainer to the next and one barn to the next and then one track to the next. They're constantly on the move and and, and shuffled, you know, uh, among various people and various tracks and various states. It is... Unmitigated animal cruelty, not, no different than greyhound racing, which I have mentioned, I'm sure, has been outright prohibited on moral grounds in 41 states in this country. And by the end of 2022, there will be two dog tracks left in the entire country in West Virginia, and that's it. So what, greyhound racing has been deemed properly, of course, inhumane, unethical, immoral. And yet horse racing gets a pass because we have been taught conditioned, to think of it as a sport, and nothing could be further from the you, truth.
0: You said that the uh, horses are confined to a stall for 23 hours a day. Okay, when the right. when horse, horse is really sick and maybe even dying, do the horses in this stall's neck to them or a a few stalls down, do they realize that one of their, I I want to use the word colleagues, is is sick and dying. In other words, does one horse realize what's happening to a sick or dying horse?
1: Well, let me answer it this way, Cynthia. So I'm obviously not um, an expert on Equine behavior. Um, I don't ever portray myself as such, but I've been around dogs and anyone who's ever been around dogs or has had two dogs in a home where one gets sick and eventually dies. Absolutely. Positively knows that the other dog senses it, feels it sympathizes or empathizes with the other dog and grieves when that other dog is gone out of the home, obviously it's the same for horses. You know they have you know, similar intelligence levels. Um, so yes, that's how I would answer your question. If you've ever been around dogs or cats, um, which most of us have at some point, you know that they feel, you know that they're aware, you know that they're intelligent, and yes a horse dying in the stall next to you, you're, you know what's going on. And so, yeah, and, 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 you know, getting back to slaughter, you know, there there is video, should anyone ever, you know, one of your listeners, you know, want to look at it, uh, as, as horrific as it is, I do think it's important that people know um, graphically, you know, how this unfolds. These horses are herded into the slaughterhouse and they wait in line and they watch the horse ahead of them get forced into this what's called the kill box and shot either with a gun or a metal bolt to the brain while they're flailing about, terrorized, terrified, and which makes the next horse in line all the more you know, distressed and to think about that's how they're, they're going out. That's, that's their end. That's their reward for, you know, for winning money for people, um, both their owners and the people who bet on them. Uh, you know, there's, there's absolutely no justification for horse racing in the 21st century. Uh, you know, I always, uh, I, I, I like to use this, this saying, you know, do we live in 21st century America or first century Rome? You know, is this the Coliseum, you know, where we're, mm-hmm. we're entertained by animal abuse, animal exploitation? It's not as, it's not as um, apparent, I guess, as it was in the Colosseum, where, you know, the, you know they, they would have animals fight to the death in front of people. So it's not, it's not to that um, – it's not as stark, but it does happen. These horses are, you know, again, abused. They are suffering. And, yes, they are dying. You know by the thousands every year so it's they put it they wrap it up in, in you know in, in, in better packaging than the Romans did there's it's not a whole lot different and that's again here we are 2,000 years later and we're having a conversation about you know whether it's okay to use animals this way for entertainment and and that's, and that's our messaging. So when you ask, you know, what kind of reaction we're getting at Travers, well, you know, when I'm out there saying, you know what, 11 horses have died here this summer. How do you feel about that? How do you feel that, that most, most of the horses are going to end up at the slaughterhouse? Um, I want to put it right back on them, the consumer, because, again, without them there's, there is no horse racing.
0: So because of your activism, Pat, have you had any success? in closing any of the
1: tracks, Sam? We, well, we have. I mean, I, you know, that's um, it's a tough thing to quantify. I mean, it's specific tracks. Yeah, there have been tracks that have closed, you know, since we've been active. There was one in uh, Oregon, Portland Meadows, which we uh, supported protests there. Um, you know, I can't say that it's because of horse racing wrongs that that track or any other track is closed. What our biggest contribution uh, to this is the is the messaging you know we are putting it out there that this has to end that yes it is an extreme position if you want to call it that you know but it is the only position if you believe that this is wrong you know you can't fix this so if you believe it's wrong that horses are suffering and dying for two dollar bets for entertainment In 21st century America, then the only reasonable, compassionate position to take is that it must end. So getting back to your question, what have we accomplished? Well, um, I was on HBO's Real Sports back in 2019. And from there, many opportunities followed. I was on CNN, ESPN. The Washington Post reached out to me and offered me a guest op-ed on horse racing. Um, You know, numerous, uh, you know, media, uh, you know, forums contacted me. We are at the point now where the editorial boards for the Washington Post and the Philadelphia Inquirer, two of the biggest, most influential newspapers in the country, have called for horse racing to end. Not to be reformed, not to be, you know, um, fiddled with here, but to end. And that is a direct result of our work and my conversations with the editors at those two newspapers. Um, I could tell you that the the Washington Post, when that that board editorial came out, uh, I had a long conversation with one of their editors that week. And the language that they used in that editorial was – the language that I've used, you know, for several years. And that's not to brag, but I'm answering your question. Have we had an effect? Have we had an influence? And we have. We have also worked with local groups, you know, people, grassroots activists in Massachusetts and Georgia trying to fight back horse racing. And we've been successful thus far. They've, you know, Massachusetts, you may or may not know, has uh, had, had its last track closed in 2019 Suffolk Downs and there has been there has been efforts um, since by horse racing people to get it back in Massachusetts we've worked with activists um, in that in that state to, uh, to fight it back and we've and again we've been successful same in Georgia uh, which does not have horse racing currently except for steeplechase racing couple you know during the course of the year but they don't have a regular regular you know public Racetrack running, you know, year-round. Um, we've worked with activists there to fight fight back that initiative. We're also working in North Carolina, you know, toward that same end. They're trying to introduce uh, horse racing there. We've worked very hard with uh, people in Pennsylvania and here in New York to um, on the subsidies, which is a huge part of this story. So the bulk of the American horse racing industry is being propped up by corporate welfare in New York and in Pennsylvania, over well over $230 million a year in each of those states going to horse racing, going to fund horse racing. If not for this corporate welfare, nine of the 11 tracks here in New York would have shuttered years ago. There's, there's no demand for it, especially the harness racing, uh, but also Finger Lakes and Aqueduct, two thoroughbred tracks. And you could even argue that Belmont, except for that one weekend where they have the Belmont Stakes, would not survive without the corporate welfare. The only tracks that would still be standing is Saratoga. In Pennsylvania, there are six racetracks. I would argue that without this uh, corporate welfare in Pennsylvania, all six would have been closed by now. So we are working with uh, larger coalitions in both states to try to strip those subsidies and to put the money back where it belongs. You know, that state-sanctioned gambling is supposed to benefit public good, um, most especially education. And instead of $240 million a year going to the horse people in Pennsylvania, it should be going to school children in Pennsylvania. Same thing here in New York. So we're working hand-in-hand with other other groups on, on subsidies. So yeah, it's it's a multifaceted fight and in the meantime, I, you know, every single day I I post on the website. Um, you know, it's it's a heart heart-rending, soul-crushing work, you know, because I'm reporting on these deaths every single day and and the abuse. In fact, I just posted a video yesterday of a trainer in Delaware. Uh, this actually the, the incident happened in New Jersey, but she's you know based in Delaware, and she was caught in a one-minute clip abusing, screaming at one of her horses. She was originally given a two-year suspension by the the stewards, the, which are the officials at Delaware Park, which is the racetrack in Delaware. That was later commuted to two months. Went from two years to two months. The Delaware Racing Commission got involved, and they excused her behavior to a large extent, saying that she was stressed and that this is not indicative of of who she is. But if you watch the video and if you are not brought – well, both brought to tears and, you know, brought to blood boiling, um, then – you know, I, I don't know what, what will. Again, it's on the it's on the website. I just posted it yesterday. Those are the kinds of things I put up every single day. So it's out there, you know, for go ahead.
0: Uh so we have just a few seconds left. Um give your contact information so if somebody wants to learn more about your organization or become involved in uh banning horse racing. Um How can they do so?
1: Yeah, so horseracingwrongs.org is our website. I have always said that if you want to know what's happening in the American horse racing industry, read the site every day for a week. Just spend 10 minutes, Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday, for one week. And I guarantee you're going to come away of saying, this is horrible, this has to end. So I, I think it's the best argument against horse racing because it's all right there all the information and remember i'm reporting facts and data that comes directly from the industry and there's no refuting facts and uh you know so what they do is the industry comes out and tries to defend by saying so many jobs are going to be lost if horse racing fails because they have nothing they have nothing left to argue so horseracingwrongs.org. You'll see there's a contact page at the top. You can contact me via email. Um, I'm more than happy, you know, to talk about this with with anyone. Um, and as far as trying to, you know, help, you know, you can join a protest if you're if, if you live near a track. Start a protest if there, you know, there isn't already one there. Um, write letters to the editor. You know, always crucial. Um, if there's radio call-in shows, you know, when they're talking about horse racing, you know, call in. Um, you know, there are various ways to get the word out and also to pressure legislators, you know, politicians. And we have a, a page on the website with contacts for, all, you know, all states that hold racing. Um, you know, you can contact them and say, look, this is this is wrong. And especially if the, if the industry is being subsidized, like in Pennsylvania and New York, you know, Please, you know, don't subsidize us anymore. Send the money back to, you know, the school children, to education. Those are the kinds of things you can do to help. And, um, again, org. Okay, thank
0: you. You've been listening to Pat. I'm sorry. Uh, That's
1: all right. Pat, Pat Tuello.
0: And I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is focused on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Um, Pat, we'll be in touch again. Um, Thank you, you. You have some pretty interesting stuff to talk about. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day.
1: Thank you, Cynthia.